Rarely wrong, always right. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome uh, back to the program, folks. Uh, It's certainly been a hell of a week, no doubt about that, which is why the What's Right show is all that much more important as part of your daily digest of everything going on in the world. If you need to reach me, I am here. I am live. I am checking my email. Sam at samandashlaw.com. Sam at samandashlaw.com. That is my, uh, that's my email. I'm gonna, I I will particularly today uh, be glancing at my, at my inbox as you may have questions for me related to all the happenings uh, here vis-a-vis Donald Trump, the latest indictment, what all is going on, what does it mean? Now, I want to start first with sort of a a big picture here as I have had now a day and a half or so to process all of this. And I, I, a lot of what I said yesterday really holds true and I want to underline, underscore, highlight, bolden a couple of things. One, I, I think very strongly more than ever that the strategy of pursuing Donald Trump by hook or by crook that the Democrats are engaging in trying to leverage, frankly, uh, very uh, very important and vital assets to the republic, meaning literally our criminal justice system, to get Trump to erase him from the political face of the earth, to put him in jail, to punish him, and to send a message to every other Trump-like candidate who dares go outside of the norms of what is expected of a Republican. If you're going to get elected as a Republican in Washington, D.C., there are still rules you have to follow. And these rules were set by Democrats, although not the Democratic Party. Therein lies the difference. Even the Democratic Party is terrified of the Democrats that control D.C., The power brokers are the people in the CIA. The power brokers are the people in national intelligence. The other power brokers, of course, include folks over at the FBI and the Department of Justice at large, folks with the full authority to direct the resources of the state against a target individual. What they are doing right now is they are taking this laser weapon and they have pointed it at a former president. And as I mentioned yesterday, they've pointed it at a former president uh, who, in fact, was, was president, literally in office, when this alleged misconduct occurred. So they have no... They have no though shame, right? They have no reservations about going after a former president acting in his capacity as president. And there's a very important purpose. Every single time you hear either a talking head on TV or one of these apparatchiks working in the DOJ talking about how nobody is above the law, really what you need to hear instead of no one, nobody is above the law, you need to hear something different. 
you need to hear. Nobody gets away with crossing us. And the message is clear. We're not just going to go after the men and women who showed up on January 6th. We're not just going to go after Joe Schmo, the plumbers, the realtors, the, the chiropractors. I always, I always joke about the chiropractors. But there were a number of realtors, a number of chiropractors, regular American professionals, people you live next door to that we know who showed up at the Stop the Steal rally and ended up getting entangled in an extraordinarily damaging net a federal criminal prosecution. It wasn't enough to just go after those people. They have to go after the guy at the top. And the reason they're doing it is because they have to send a message to the next guy that dares do what Trump did. They can't have, can't afford to have another candidate for president when who declares himself an enemy of the deep state. The permanent governmental bureaucracy in place, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat in charge, right? They survive it all. They are like cockroaches. They would survive Armageddon. But suddenly Trump came along and he was a threat to them. The cockroaches sensed for a moment what would happen to them if perhaps they were eliminated. And that was not something that they w- were willing to, uh, to, to, to experiment with. So, so naturally, right, they immediately embarked, even before Trump was sworn in, in a process, in a, in a, in a co- coordinated action. And you want to talk about conspiracies, right? This was a... A criminal conspiracies, right? This was a, this was exactly that. These people got together and they decided, uh, and explicitly so, decided that they were going to interfere in every way possible with the administration of Donald Trump, and it has culminated in the events of this week. That is what this is all about. So I said that that was the first thing, and I wanted to highlight that and underscore that. The second thing that I discussed yesterday is that this case is weak. It's weak, and people have been sounding off about it now who are, I mean, I'm a lawyer, but they're constitutional lawyers, people who have taught constitutional law, who have, uh, you know, have some amount of gravitas in this field, and they are all saying the same thing I said to you yesterday this time. So I'm going to get into that today, too, because I think it's important for you to hear this and be very clear in your understanding that the case that dropped on Trump, uh, what was it, uh, a, a day ago last night, was, uh, was absolutely, uh, is absolutely gibberish. I mean, it is, it is legal malpractice what this prosecutor has put out there. They are criminalizing the political process and free speech. And that is what this is. You cannot, you cannot, and I repeat, cannot charge a president, a, a city councilman, a, a, a congressman, any elected official, a dog catcher in a small town in, you know, in, 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 in Oklahoma with speaking out and, and against the outcome of an election and challenging election results. You just can't do it. And they have, 
what the prosecutor here has done with the help of a politicized grand jury is create just that. They are, they are stretching the bounds of the law in ways Trump never did. And so the prediction here, of course, is that in the end, all of this will come back, back down and, 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 and bite them in the rear. Now, what I think is also interesting makes uh, for some good sound bites to go back to. We'll do that today because we really didn't have so much time yesterday in our two hours together is all of the moments when the Democrats themselves claimed that elections were stolen, uh, where, where the Democrats advocated for voting machine conspiracies, etc. And, and, and it's all a matter of record. They're on tape. Nobody went after them. The Republicans, when they got into office, when the Republicans had won, didn't sick the FBI and the DOJ or hire a special prosecutor and give that prosecutor directions to, to, to criminalize this kind of conduct. They didn't do that. But here, now that the shoe is on the other foot, they are doing it. And they're doing it simply for no other reason than I think the more I look at this, that they cannot back down on any statement of credibility related to the 2020 election. They know that some monkey business went down. They understand it. They being, of course, the left and the Democratic Party and all those complicit in weaseling out and creating rules that made uh, less than legitimate voting possible across this country. They understand that it would not withstand, withstand criticism. So what are they doing? Doubling down to the extent of criminalizing the speech of a now former president. It's outrageous. It's spectacular. And uh, it is, well, listen, I, I, it's, not going to, it's not going to end well for them. All right, so we're going to get into all of this today. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. To all of the warrior Democrats out there today screaming about the sanctity of elections and how Donaldus Maximus Trump is, uh, well, ought to be held to account for his interference in the outcome of the 2020 election, I would like to play a few things here. Sam Rajofsky, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, that's me. Grateful to be with you here today. Uh, so where do we start? Back in 2000, some of us, okay, some of us, are old enough to remember the 2020 election. I do. How did that all go down? Well, if you're if you'll rem if you'll remember, we we came within a hair of having Al Gore as president. So to those of us that now are well, perhaps less than enthused about the George W. Bush presidency, uh, it would be a friendly reminder that it could have been worse. So 
when it all came down and votes were getting counted, Florida was basically hanging by a dimpled chad. Remember dimpled chads? This is back when we used to vote in person where we didn't have electronic voting machines and people would go in and they would punch a hole into their preferred candidate. And then those holes, this is, you know, they'd run through machines. I, some, I did some tests like this a little bit where you had to punch holes through, you know, Scantron type thing. You punch the hole in and then you'd run the ballot through and votes would get counted. Well, the problem is that, you know, Bush only won Florida by a handful of votes, really. And so the Al Gore people went in and, and, and filed a lawsuit and challenged the result of the election. And we, you know, the, the, there's all these great photos and videos of, of poll workers examining carefully every ballot, the hanging chad, meaning the little uh, punched through bit of paper that was perhaps still intact or a um, dimpled, was that one of them? A dimpled chad? Dimpled Chad, okay, and and it was it was it was just absurdity. But nonetheless, it was very clear that George W. Bush won the election, and the Democrats came in and fought tooth and nail to overturn it. All right, here is back in two thousand a little, uh, well, co- compilation, if you will, of let's see, John Kerry. Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, and Terry McAuliffe, who was um, the Democratic Party chair back then, questioning the outcome of that race. Listen. Al Gore was elected president of the United States. Right. This wasn't counted. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity. How are you going to keep it from us being able to be in a position where you can manipulate the machines, manipulate the record? Too many voters have cast votes on machines that jam or malfunction or suck the votes without a trace. If Catherine Harris, Jeb Bush, Jim Baker and the Supreme Court hadn't tampered with the results, Al Gore would be president. See that? I'm going back to the Trump indictment here. Uh, What's the allegation, right? The defendant lost the 2020 presidential election. Despite having lost, the defendant, meaning Donald Trump, was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following the election of November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. This is, these are the, these are the what, third and fourth sentences of the indictment. How is any of this different from what Donald Trump did? And by the way, they questioned voting machines, too, back in 2004 and 2005. Listen to this. There are still legitimate concerns over the integrity of our elections and of ensuring the principle of one person, one vote. I agree with tens of millions of Americans who are very worried that when they cast the ballot on an electronic voting machine, that there is no paper trail to record that vote. But constantly shifting vote tallies in Ohio and malfunctioning electronic machines, which may not have paper receipts, 
have led to additional loss of confidence by the public. This is their only opportunity to have this debate while the country is listening, and it is appropriate to do so. Oh, yeah, okay, well, that's why they... uh, Barbara Boxer and 32 House Democrats decided to go and challenge uh, the, uh, the electors in Ohio. Hmm. Again, doesn't seem like something very different from what Donald Trump did. But again, there are different rules in this country for Democrats than there are for Republicans. And yes, we Republicans are beginning to notice. <laughs> here's, here's more Democrats complaining about election results in 2016-17. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You do not consider him a legitimate president. Why is that? I, I think the Russians participated in helping this man get elected Mm -hmm. and they helped destroy the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. You can run the best campaign, you can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you. I think the question is whether outside actors influence the outcome of the election. He knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. There's a cloud of illegitimacy hanging over the White House right now. Russia interfered with our election for the exclusive purpose of trying to artificially place Donald Trump at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Okay, well, there you go. And then even Mike Pence, who's hailed as a hero in this indictment, cast down on the election two days before January 6th. Listen to him. Boy, did he change his tune. I know we all, we all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. But tomorrow is Georgia's day. Now, these are, listen, Mike Pence, I now count among the Democrat weasels. So he obviously felt very differently. And whenever somebody says something uh, different in public than they say in private, you know, I, I, I lose a tremendous amount of respect for them. One thing you know about me, and, and, and many of you operate exactly the same way, and we have this in common, it's part of our bond, is that we are who we say we are. We just, we don't have two faces. We exist as one person. And so it is it's extraordinarily mind-boggling to me to see these Democrats over the course of, of my conscious lifetime be perfectly willing to denounce the legitimacy of election in one year and then turn around less than a decade in some of these cases, less than a decade later and and throw a spew fire at Donald Trump for doing the same. This is not who I am. It is not who you are. And it is simply because, they, look, they are perfectly willing moving the goalposts goalpost because it was never about principles for them. It was never about the rule of law for them because they were perfectly willing to, to, to bend the rule of law to achieve their means. No. From the very get-go, they recognized that Donald Trump was an existential threat to their very existence. Along came a Republican that was not going to play by the rules. He was going off the reservation and he had to be stopped. And what you are seeing today is a continuation of that effort. And my friends, 
it, we know what it is. We understand. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome, friends. You're listening to The What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Sam Murjofsky, your host, here behind The What's Right Show microphone. Pleased to be here. By the way, do you all remember one of the, of the, one of the two impeachments initiated, perpetrated against Trump when he was in office? Was over a phone call that Trump allegedly made uh, to Ukraine demanding uh, Biden's investigation, right? Investigation of Biden, specifically into Burisma, knowing full well then that there were some scandalous things going on with Burisma and that the Ukrainians ought to look into it and sniff around to see about this corruption that now we have a far better, clearer idea of as the American public knowing what all went on. And it was a, as a consequence of that call that what happened? That Trump himself got impeached in the Democrat-led House of Representatives for wanting Ukraine to investigate Burisma and Biden. And then Biden not only gets a free pass on his criminality vis-a-vis Burisma, all the millions of dollars that got funneled to him, his brother and his son, for no other visible reason than Biden, Joe Biden's then influence as vice president of the United States, helping Burisma uh, avoid a uh, prosecution investigation of their own in the Ukraine. Biden then gets a free pass on all that, and Biden gets to investigate Trump himself. And because Biden's a dumb A-money money, riddled with gosh knows what kind of brain problems, he actually says the quiet part out loud. Back in November of 22, and I've played this clip before, but I'm gonna do it now because we're playing the greatest hits. Biden says at a Q&A speaking to a reporter, and he says, essentially, he's gonna make sure that Trump never runs again and that he never becomes president again. Listen. Your predecessor who is about to launch another campaign. So how do you reassure them if that the former president will not return, that his political movement, which is still very strong, uh, will not oh, yeah. once again take power in the United <laughs> States? Well, um, we just have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by, uh, if, we, uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he, uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our Constitution, does not become the next president again. You know, when, when, by the way, when Biden says under illegitimate efforts of our Constitution, this is kind of like when murderous regimes, socialist communist regimes called themselves democratic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, the Democratic Republic of North Korea. Yeah, big democracy there. You know, I'm pretty sure, you know, everybody gets a say in what's going on. In fact, the more they throw out that constitutional line, legitimate line, we're doing everything legitimately correct, absolutely, as best as we possibly can. Trust us, because we're the good guys. 
The more they say that, the more I actually believe they know that they are lying and they know that they are colluding and they know that they are using the men and women of the FBI, of the DOJ, to wage political battles against their enemies. It makes Richard Nixon look like a Boy Scout. My whole life I've grown up hearing from Democrats about how terrible Nixon was. Nixon was an angel. Nixon ought to have been the next pope. Well, I wasn't Catholic, but you know, you get the point. Nixon was a choir boy by comparison with this lot of of thieving bandits. And thieving is the right word because inherent in all this reason for wanting to cover everything up and dispose of Trump and muscle their way in to power and now remain in power, these people know and understand that this is how the things are done in D.C. I took the time, the, the transcript, Devin Archer transcript, you know, when he went to Capitol Hill on Monday, spoke to the House Oversight Committee, 140 pages. I went through it, folks. Let me tell you the most, uh, to me, the biggest takeaway is just Devin Archer's an outsider. He, he, he went, well, he went to Yale, yes, but he's not a D.C. guy. And he ends up meeting Hunter Biden and, and going into business with him. And he, he says it at a number of junctures when, when pressed by the Republican investigators. What, what do you, you know, were you like the least bit surprised that, you know, that, 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 you know, Hunter Biden would call his dad and that, you know, he would say, well, let's, and, and that people would ask you, what can D.C. do for us? And, and you understood it meant, you know, a, a, a son getting paid and calling his dad for help, you know, and that there was obvious quid pro quo. What did you make of all that? And Devin Archer, number of times in that deposition says, well, yeah, but this is, I mean, my understanding is this is how D.C. works. And I kept reading that. And my takeaway was, well, clearly, this is why D.C., yes, D.C. works this way. Yes, he's saying this little throwaway comment is very powerful. Obviously, this is how D.C. works. And guess what? When outsiders like Trump, or even I'll say this, Vivek Ramaswamy better watch his six o'clock because these people will come for him too. When an outsider dares play in their sandbox, in this world of the Bidens, the Obamas, the Clintons, the McConnells, okay? I'm gonna throw in Republicans here too. When they, these outsiders like Trump, decide to come in and mess around with this cozy little incestuous insider DC world that benefits everybody. These people all work in the government their whole freaking lives. And guess what? They're multimillionaires. They have more money than God, some of these people. And it happened all by accident. It happened because they made some, ooh, some wise investments over here, right? And it's... (laughs) It's not even insider trading. It's much more than that. Because you can make all the stock trades you want in the world. You, you, you build real wealth by, by getting cash in the door. And where did it all start? You know, it didn't happen on their, you know, buck 50 a year salary. Traveling, having to spend that traveling back and forth to their district. You don't make a lot of money in Congress. But you do make a lot of money in Congress. And my tone 
right? My tone says it all. And Devin Archer testifying to the Republicans investigators, look, yeah, but you know how DC works. This is how I just, this is, I just assumed like this was how DC worked. I really didn't raise any eyebrows. None of this, none of this was particularly shocking to him. And this is why all of these people who participate in it, who benefit from it, are fighting now any effort from the outside to shine any light. And they know that if the one domino falls, Hunter Biden is the first domino. If he falls, it all begins to fall successively after him. Then it falls on the big guy or what's left of him. And then on all of his people protecting him, the FBI, the DOJ, members of Congress, and it, it just all begins to come apart. And that's why they're fighting this the way they are. And that's why a guy like Jack Smith is perfectly willing to uh, put forward this, this case. And he, you know, for him, it's, there, there's a lot of upside. You have to understand, he's a special prosecutor, Jack Smith. He gets a name, makes a name for himself, gets a lot of media love because he's the Trump slayer today, right? He's the Michael Avenatti. Jack Smith is today's Michael Avenatti. Now, he gets brownie points not just from the media and the adoring public who don't know any better, fools, a lot of them. He also does what? He distracts from the Biden corruption deal, which gets him brownie points from within the power structure. Bogs down Trump, can't campaign. And who cares if eventually his whole effort is eradicated, blown out of the water by the Supreme Court. That's long after it matters for Trump. Besides, it gives another opportunity for the left to delegitimize the court. Remember, they, these people aren't dumb, okay? People that are running this, the people that believe it and vote for it, they're stupid as all hell. But the people that are putting the scheme together on the left, they are not, they're not stupid. They understand this is why they've begun taking shots at the Supreme Court already. They, 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 are, they are delegitimizing the court, preparing the public narrative to be the Supreme Court let off Donald Trump. It was quid pro quo. And they want to steal, literally, take, <laughs> take attention away from the real quid pro quo corruption vis-a-vis -vis Biden and Burisma, et cetera, and turn it around and claim that it's the delegitimized Supreme Court of the United States that is letting, letting Trump off. And so in that sense, Smith knows these things are bogus, and it's a setup. It's all a setup. And I'm not even hearing anybody say this, so I got to take a break. But when I come back, a couple of legal analyses on this. Last night on Sean Hannity, Alan Dershowitz said a few things. Didn't play that for you. I think I also have Jonathan Turley, who was speaking right after this, also on Fox News. So I, let me get you those clips and then some reactions from me, your host of the What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. All right, friends, you all remember and know who Alan Dershowitz is, a famous lawyer, Harvard Law professor, also represented Trump uh, in the first impeachment. He's a big-time, long-time Democrat. I have to make that point. By the way, Sam Rajofsky here. Thank you for listening to The What's Right Show. 
Alan Dershowitz uh, confesses himself he has supported Hillary Clinton in 2016. I believe he did not vote for Trump in 2020. Regardless, he's vocally uh, very pro-Democrat, although although he has admitted many a time that after representing Donald Trump in the impeachment, which he thought was a total hoax, and felt it was his principal duty to represent the president of the United States, was suddenly... Well, less than a popular figure inside various democratic social settings. I think he has a home on Martha's Vineyard, uh, which is where, of course, the Obamas have a residence as well, and um, found himself uninvited from a series of parties, suffered from this. Nonetheless, still a devoted Democrat, not a Trumpist. But one thing about Dershowitz is he is a constitutionalist. The most interesting people I find personally to talk to when I'm nerding out about the law and about politics are principled constitutionalists. And oftentimes, they're Democrats, particularly old-school Democrats. Because believe it or not, uh, there are people on the right who also want to monkey with the Constitution and, you know, twist certain you know, elements of, of, of what it contains to fit their agenda. And I, I'm a purist. Unfortunately, today, being a purist, it used to mean you're more of a libertarian. Now, being a purist, I mean, you're a radical. You are a radical right-winger if you support the Constitution to the letter of the law. So here's Alan Dershowitz last night on Hannity. Uh, talking about the Trump indictment. Listen to what he has to say. You're allowed to challenge elections. Indeed, the best way to challenge elections is to come up with a slate of alternate electives. That's what a court said in Hawaii in 1960. That's been the case throughout our history. So the government has the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that subjectively Donald Trump actually believed that he lost the election and acted contrary to that belief. Now, I've read the indictment very carefully. There is no smoking gun, and they're gonna have a very hard time proving it. Now, it's the District of Columbia, 90 some odd percent of the jury pool will have voted against them, so they may actually get a conviction from a DC jury, but will it survive appellate review and review to the Supreme Court? I do not think so. Bingo, exactly that. So, Alan Dershowitz saying last night exactly what I said hours earlier on this program. I said, I think this guy's going to, meaning Trump, is going to get convicted based on the fact, and and Dershowitz isn't exactly right. Robbie, what did we find? Was it 95, 94%? It's greater than 90%, okay? It's it's around 95% of D.C. in, in, in 2016 and 2020, certainly 2020, voted against Trump. So it's a hostile bunch of prospective jurors there. They will likely, likely convict him. But will it survive scrutiny in appeals? No, it will not. And again, this is a, 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 the, the Democrats are already in a way preparing for that uh, because then they're going to use uh, this to bludgeon the Supreme Court with and further uh, get their base all riled up. So that's what they're going to do. Now, uh, there also was a uh, an interesting exchange on Tuesday when all of this was breaking 
uh, with Jonathan Turley, also a con law professor, constitutional law professor, excuse me, at George Washington University. Listen to this. This is a free speech killing indictment. Uh, there's no way around it. As you know, I write a great deal as an academic in the free speech area, and I've rarely seen a more chilling filing uh, by the Department of Justice. And I have to tell you, this indictment is a really sad moment for me. I had, I had hoped that if Smith was going to indict on January 6th, that he would find unassailable evidence and unquestioned legal authority. He has neither in this indictment. But what he you does know, have is the yeah. criminalization of political speech. Bingo. Criminalization of political speech. So it's... This is, this is, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Now let's talk a little bit too about the timing of all of this because in the uh, famous and immortal words of William's, William Shakespeare, uh, coincidence, I think not. Kidding, I don't think Shakespeare said that. Nonetheless, on the 7th of June, on the 7th of June, not quite two months ago, the FBI released... Finally, the documents to Congress that alleged the Bidens took a $10 million bribe from Burisma. Remember that form? On the 8th, the next day, Jack Smith indicted Trump in the Mar-a-Lago case. The 26th of July, fast forward to the end of the following month, just a week ago, Hunter Biden goes to court, rejects the sweetheart plea deal, after we found out that the DOJ did a little sneaky, sneaky, sneaky by putting in the blanket immunity clause into, into the diversion agreement, which is an ancillary agreement to the actual plea deal, which would have given him uh, protection from any future prosecutions. And the very next day, July 27th, Jack Smith added more charges for Trump in the Mar-a-Lago case. And then along comes the 31st of July, and we get, which is Monday, just this week, Hunter Biden's former business partner, right? Devin Archer testifies to Congress that Joe Biden was on over 20 phone calls with the son's business partners and da-da-da-da-da, all of that coming out. <laughs> and by the way, I've been reading the transcript. Boy, the Democrats tried everything on the committee to prevent Archer from testifying even when he was testifying. They were going after a tooth and nail. Wow. Still, the stuff got out, and then the, and then and then what? Archer tests. The very next day, Jack Smith throws another indictment down against Trump. So every time there is a major event, a seminal event that is colossally bad for Joe Biden, along comes Biden's faithful handmaid, Jack Smith. And what does Jack do? Goes in and dutifully slaps Trump another time. He wags the dog, shifts the narrative, and he gives the very grateful mainstream media uh, something to talk about that is not related to the Bidens. Coincidence? I think not. These indictments are succeeding, and only really in the sense of distracting from the Biden corruption deal, which is you know, ending any efforts that we Republicans, conservatives have in order to try to get this into the media, mainstream media cycle. It is 
anybody defending right now Jack Smith as a dispassionate uh, jurist, as a, uh, a, a you know a prosecutor of, of of the highest independent reputation, is smoking crack. It's literally smoking crack. They they are using probably Hunter's discarded crack pipe. Jack Smith is an apparatchik of the Biden DOJ. His independent status means nothing. Remember, his wife did a documentary on uh, Michelle Obama. His mother-in-law is part of a left-wing think uh, left-wing uh, think tank. Uh, when she was alive, it's just a, just a gross Democrat-connected family, and they absolutely, he absolutely is motivated by his extreme Trump derangement syndrome as he pursues this uh, former president of ours. All right, Sam Rajovsky, be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will continue here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. Now, I, uh, I've, I mentioned a few times last hour that I took some time here to read the deposition transcript uh, that was released by House Republicans following the closed-door deposition of Devin Archer. Devin Archer, former business partner of Hunter Biden. And a little bit on him, in case you're, you've heard the name, no doubt, a little bit about who he is. A self-described uh, former best buddy of Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's own memoir, Beautiful Things, describes Archer as a self-made, super-motivated former college lacrosse player with a disarming charm. Now, Hunter met Archer and gets into this a little bit in the deposition because he can't really remember where in the deposition he he starts very nervous. Again, I'm not seeing a, a recording of it. I'm just going based on the transcript, but I've conducted depositions. I'm a lawyer. I understand how they work, and I I I get the sense he's a pretty pretty nervous about it. There's a lot of uh, hesitating. Uh, mm, I, I want to be clear here. I, I, well, I'm not certain, but he couldn't really name when they met. But according to multiple sources, including ultimately what is settled in the deposition on Monday, Hunter met Archer through a man named Christopher Heinz. Now, who is that? That is John Kerry. You know the climate czar. The guy that could have been president, except, you know, he got swift-boated. <laughs> John Kerry, Mr. Horseface himself, his stepson. Because John Kerry, you know, being a, you know, just a lowly senator, married a very wealthy widow, Teresa Heinz, who was uh, now heiress through her first marriage to the ketchup money. So John Kerry is the ketchup man, but he's, he has never done anything in his life except yak and talk blithering nonsense and warm a seat in the Senate and be a reliable Democratic vote. That's John Kerry's claim to fame, but he also has a stepson who apparently got Hunter 
you know, introduced to, uh, to Archer. Uh, they were both at Yale together. Now, they co-founded, and this is where, look, even my lawyer brain started to kind of pop around. I had to start writing myself some notes. They created all of these various entities as holding firms for the various money that they were getting. Now, I want to... I'm a little bit different than a lot of other radio hosts that are conservative and that just, you know, trash the Bidens without any thought. I want to make it very clear that when you are engaged in raising private capital and you're having various uh, different funds set up, it is not unusual to have multiple entities. This is not, this is not, you know, an extraordinary kind of an event. So when, and and you'll see this in, in some of the news media, particularly, let's say Fox News or OAN will talk about this as all these entities. And they'll try to proffer the evidence or present the evidence as an example of something um, inherently illegal going on. And I would caution against that. That's an oversimplification, okay? But the reality is that it is, there's very little doubt from Archer, uh, uh, Devon Archer's testimony is that he, fir- he was the one who first joined the Burisma board. And Archer, right, was the guy who actually had the expertise, according to him at least, in renewable energy. He was the one who, who started at Burisma. He, he um, had helped them connect with a firm in Texas that, was, that had some uh, you know, uh, higher tech grilling, drilling capabilities, then took those drills over uh, through Ukraine into, uh, I think it was Kazakhstan or somewhere. But they, they, nonetheless, they were, they were, he, he was somebody who had worked in the energy field, unlike Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden was brought on in a sort of general counsel lawyer capacity and very quickly joined the board because he was a Biden. Now, as unseemly as that is, that is not in and of itself illegal, right? And no doubt people get hired for various roles because of their connections all the time. Where it got a little bit weird is when there were explicit payments clearly going to Hunter Biden to pay him money to help smooth things over in Washington. And it was understood that Hunter Biden, it wasn't like Hunter Biden was making the rounds as a lobbyist going to various congressmen and, 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 and senators, that he wasn't sitting down with Obama. He was just calling his dad with whom he spoke, according to Archer in this testimony, every single day. Now, Heinz, Mr. Heinz, Christopher Heinz, John Kerry's Mr. Ketchup's stepson, was, um, was he, um, he ended his business relationship with the pair. He apparently did some work with them as soon as Archer joined Burisma's board. Heinz had himself some concerns about corruption in Ukraine and how those board positions might negatively impact the fund that they were trying to build up and how it appears to clients. Now, fast forward, this all was going on in the mid-10s and teens, 2014, 13, 15, around this time. In 2018, Archer, 
Devon Archer, the guy who testified on Monday, the ex-friend of Hunter Biden, the one who was on the Burisma board first, who got uh, Biden onto the board, was convicted for a role in a scheme that intended, I guess, to uh, defraud more than 60 million in tribal bonds. It was a separate scheme. Now, he was sentenced to a year and a day in prison in 2022. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit denied his appeal, so he, it looks like he's going to be you know, going to jail. Justice Department asked over the weekend, right, you heard about this, asked a federal judge in New York to schedule a date for him to report to prison, hoping he, they were going to get him in there Monday before he had to testify. Something the mainstream media has glossed over as well. Now, Archer remains a free man, which is why yesterday he was interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Now, this is where it gets interesting, and I'm going to play this for you right after the break. These are the most important clips of the, of the interview, and, and so you get a kind of an idea of what, what the meat of it is. But I have to make it clear, none of this testimony that Archer gave is good for Joe Biden which again is a reminder that when he gave this testimony on the 31st of July, when, when, when Archer, uh, Devon Archer, Devon Archer goes in and speaks to, his, to Congress about, about Hunter and about Joe, the big guy, and how Joe was on 20 calls with, you know, with Burisma and all the Burisma execs, and the very next day, Jack Smith indicts Trump again, this time for January 6th, you get an idea of the enormity, the importance of what occurred on Monday. The left desperate to distract against or distract from uh, the release of any of this information. So uh, let's take a quick break. I do want to get to this interview because it's interesting. And Archer is right now the number one thorn in the side of the Democratic Party and of Joe Biden, I'm a little worried about his health and well-being when he goes to the federal uh, pen. Because, you know, these people that hold Democratic Party secrets don't last long in federal custody if you catch my drift. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, you're listening to The What's Right Show. All right, clear up the music. Let's get to it. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Friends, that is what happens with live radio. Occasionally, there are some technical difficulties. So forgive us for that. Uh, but quick here before the bottom of the hour break. Uh, this, uh, this case, this issue here with, uh, with, with Devin Archer. This is... Um, they're they're going to fight this now. I, I promised you clips from from Tucker Carlson in the interview. I, I'm going to get to that here after the the bottom of the hour because I want to give this ample time. Um, it is a, a really great first off that uh, Tucker Carlson is no longer at Fox because I guarantee you right now that the corporatists over at Fox News would never have allowed him to sit down with this guy. There would have been a stink and a half raised about it. Nobody wants to touch this, but Tucker's independence, and by the way, this interview now, we're going to do the research here over the break, how many eyeballs as of right now have seen this. But this interview got far and away more play than it ever would have if it had broadcast at Fox News, even in primetime. 
And that is a testament in and of itself to what all this means with the changing media landscape. Because remember, there are many among you, I know this, I get your emails that are exasperated over this, just what seems almost um, an impossible task to inform America about what is going on in this country. How do you do it with a media that is you know, largely silent and, and, and has no problem aiding and abetting very obviously one side over the other? Well, the answer is that there are other channels, channels more open and more free measurably than they were three years ago. And that, I think, is, is part of the story and why they cannot just keep the lid on this. This is starting to boil over, meaning all the scandals that the Bidens were facing. So this is a, if nothing else, we live at a fantastically interesting time. Trump, by the way, just while we we're at break, uh, news coming out that he's pled not guilty, stared down the prosecutor, Jack Smith, as they, as they were in the same courtroom, gave him a glare, no doubt thinking, don't worry, buddy, your day in court will come. And trust me, I have every belief that every one of these people that have participated in the charade against Trump will end up facing the music. Speaking of music, there's our music. We're going to come back, I promise, after this break. Stay tuned. I'll get into all this stuff. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Greetings and welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, your host, coming to you live and local from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Those of you listening from beyond the valley, welcome. I hope you're doing well. Uh, Come visit us sometime, perhaps uh, in the fall when the temperatures are a little lower. But no, this is actually, come to think of it, a great time to come to Vegas. I always think, you know, this is the time when it's hot enough where you want to be by the pool, can spend time, uh, you know, relaxing, taking it easy, having a cold beverage. And now that the rain is slowly coming, uh, going away and we're back to some sunny weather, I think uh, certainly you can make your way back into town. So Viva Las Vegas, come visit us. It's the place to be. Um, All right, well, here on the What's Right Show, we uh, don't just talk about Vegas. We also get into the political current events of the day. This is a current events-driven show. So, uh, yes, in some ways it's reactionary, although those of you who have listened now for a little bit of time understand that oftentimes I will put you in a place where you are ahead of the trends and understand what is happening before it actually all comes to pass and all the rest of the commentators are catching up. So, and it's in this, uh, in this light that I, I look at this interview here with, with Devin Archer because we've been talking about him. We've been talking about this particular scandal that's become obvious even before the Hunter laptop was discovered. Certainly was tough to, uh, to deny the existence of the scandal and these events these allegations after it was released. 
And yet here we are more than two years later and we are still agonizing over this. So Tucker Carlson had Devin Archer on with him. This is uh, just a day after he testified or two days after he testified in Congress at a closed door deposition that was conducted by the House Oversight Committee. Democrats tried very hard to get him uh, and the and by the way, any documents presented in the deposition to be stricken from the record in particular. And this is funny because we were just talking about the laptop. One of the things that the Democrats were very eager to do was to uh, to to get any email that was on the laptop to be to be uh, stricken, right, to be to be uh, barred from being presented. And it seemed to me that based on their their questions, well, do you have the hard drive? Where do you have this in your possession? And the Republicans were, yes, we said, we yes, we do. We do have the hard drive. <laughs> and this is public record. Well, you didn't provide this to us. Well, it's public record. There are multiple websites where you can go and literally search this stuff for yourself. Well, it's not, you know, we don't think that this, we don't know what this is. This could be anything. This could be propaganda. They are still banging on about how this laptop is disinformation, even though the FBI has acknowledged that it isn't. So I'm just pointing this out. Tucker asks Devin Archer yesterday what it was that Hunter brought to the table. And remember, Hunter did not have any energy experience. Fact as I read the depot transcript, it seemed to me that Devin Archer was the one who had all the experience, was holding all the cards. But what did Hunter have? Well, he had a last name. Listen. Obviously, the brand of Biden, you know, adds a lot of power when you're dad's vice president. The initial idea around the business, they were going to provide, you know, the government insight and an additional network to raise capital and then, you know, deal with regulatory issues that you might have at the corporate level. Right. Regulatory issues. Exactly. Also a very complex area. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's, you know, you got to be an expert in knowing the guy. And he was the guy that was the expert in knowing the guy. He was an expert in knowing the guy. And who was the guy he knew? Uh, Well, he knew a lot of people, but obviously there was some familiar, you know, his brother, his father, uh, uh, some of his his father's siblings. So he he knew a lot of people. And, And obviously I know you're pointing to, you know, the father being the key relationship. Well, yeah, I mean, we are. And by the way, his brother, nobody would give a rat's rear end about who any of these people are if it weren't for the fact that they're all related to Joe. So what was Hunter selling, right? What was his, why was he getting paid millions and millions of dollars? What was that money for? Listen. Washington's not a money town. Right. You know, people don't, aren't in business in Washington for the right. most part. So really the business of Washington is, is selling access. That's what it looked like to me. Yes. Not just Hunter Biden, but like yeah, no, that's I what think that's. Do. I mean, I think that's the one of the like core misconceptions. I mean, it seems like when I you know understanding a regulatory environment means selling access at the end of the day. That, yeah. that's how I interpret it, and I think that's how most people on you know on Wall Street, whether they admit it or not, interpret it. Yeah. So we're gonna we've got a complex business that intersects with government. We need a guy who knows it. Right. Right now. That's all fine and dandy. It's called, well, it has different names, but but these people are, uh, you know, there's a whole industry inside Washington. Frankly, it's even here in Nevada at a state level uh, where you have lobbyists that go and, and, and advocate on behalf of companies, on behalf of individuals to get favorable 
legislation passed. But when it comes to advocating and navigating a regulatory environment, quote-unquote, on behalf of a foreign business, this is where it gets a little weird, right? This is where it gets a little weird. Because all of a sudden, you, you're, you're not just advocating for a U.S.-based individual. There are complex federal rules that deal with this. Some of them are very specific. They require you to register as a foreign lobbyist. Those laws are in place. People go to prison for violating them. And here, the problem is, is that they begin not just trying to sort through a complex regulatory environment. They were using Joe Biden to come to Ukraine to cudgel, bludgeon the Ukrainian leadership to fire somebody internally in that country that was hostile to their client, Burisma. And that right there, upon succeeding, then resulted in the funneling of money to Joe Biden. That's a problem. Now, Devin Archer, um, you know, he, he's, he, Devin Archer describes Hunter as having an Icarus issue, which, of course, is, you know, the guy, mythical guy that creates wings out of feathers. He waxes them onto his arms. So he's flying, he's flying, he flies all the way up to the sun, and the sun is too hot, the Wax melts and the feathers fly off and he goes plummeting down to the earth, which is, well, pretty clearly what happened to both of these guys. Listen to this. What we ran into and with what Hunter ran into was like almost like an Icarus issue. So he got a little, it was too close to the sun. It was too right. good to be true. And the connections were, were too close and the scrutiny too much. Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't like he was connecting with the senator somewhere that he had, you know, that it was be more difficult to prove quid pro quo. It was literally his dad. And then, of course, Icarus, you know, I guess, I, I don't know, instead of having his wax milk getting close to the sun, he left his laptop and crack pipe, you know, and, 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 and anything else that was damaging for all the world to see. Now, Tucker asked if Joe Biden knew their business associates, right? Devin Archer and Hunter Biden's business associates, if they were on calls. And, um, and if Joe Biden knew that these business people were on those speakerphone calls specifically, right? Was, was, were, were they truly selling this kind of access? Listen. Yeah, I think I can, I can definitively say at particular dinners or meetings, he knew there were business associates and he, you know, we, or if I was there, I was a business associate too. Yeah. Um, so I think, or if, you know, any of the other colleagues from the DC office or the New York office were there. So yeah, at times there were from the, you know, to be, you know, completely clear on the calls. I don't know if it was an orchestrated call in or not. It certainly was powerful though, because, you know, if you're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the vice president's voice, that's prize enough. Exactly. Bingo. Now, the challenge that the Republicans are going to have is really absolutely connecting, right, a simple hello with a quid pro quo arrangement. I, I think fundamentally getting money through various entities affiliated with his son that are paying the son money and then Joe Biden is doing – you can these are provable facts, right is, – is intervening in matters – that are helpful to those entities that are paying money to his son, 
Then you have that money appearing somehow and benefiting the then vice president, the father, the elected official. That to me is now very clear evidence of Joe Biden selling his office. Now, I feel very strongly that um, that I think what they're going to what they're going to have here is they're going to be able to prove that kind of quid pro quo. They're going to be able to prove that Joe Biden sold the vice presidency. And that will be disqualification from him serving as president. This thing is getting ugly fast. And this is why you can continue to expect arrows against Donald Trump. They will deflect in any way possible that they can. So just it, it, it is uh, starting to look really bad. And with, with Archer out there talking uh, and blabbing, by the way, this is just part one of the interview. So there's another second part. And, and not to forget, this already has, as of right now, looking 22.3 million views this interview that was put out on Twitter. Stunning. That is, you know, I mean, it's an order of degree greater than anything that Fox News ever would have delivered in a night. Just a reminder that people are hungry for this. They are watching it. The word of this is spreading. And the, you know, the, the mainstream media, MSNBC, CNN, they will not be able to keep a lid on this forever, I'm telling you. All right, don't go anywhere. I'll be back in a moment. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Well, that's the music. You know what time it is. More What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, truth teller, patriot, all-around great guy this hour of the program brought to you by sam and ash injury law because you deserve what's right now one of the more despicable things i think i have ever heard as far as mainstream media uh, what do we call this obfuscation in their defense of the biden crime family working colluding together to shake down foreign governments for cash. Yesterday, Willie Geist talking to MSNBC correspondent Jonathan Lemire. Lemire says this about the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden fiasco and a little explanation as to why Joe Biden might have been a little not quite himself in all of this. Wow. As far as Hunter Biden goes, there's no doubt. I mean, it's pretty clear even those close to the Biden family suggest that some of his behavior was pretty unseemly. That doesn't make it illegal. And it also means we don't know the role that then Vice President Biden may have played. And it seems like, no, they haven't proven that he had anything to do with it. They haven't proven that he profited from this at all. Yet maybe he is guilty of turning a blind eye to some of his son's uh, behavior. And we should put this in context. This is a time when Beau Biden, the president's other son, was ill and then dying and then, and then passed away. Uh, so perhaps he was not as attentive to what he should have been here. But again, there has simply been no evidence, Gene Robinson, no evidence at all that he was profiting from this or he or that either of them committed a crime. Unbelievable. By the way, this is a journalist. He's a correspondent. I remember I used to remember a world where we were told journalists were out there to find the truth. To follow the facts. To say I mean, and I don't know what, what, you know, what there, there's a lot of facts here 
there's certainly a lot of evidence presented that is extremely compelling. And yet what you have journalists today contorting themselves in an effort to protect someone who is politically simpatico to them. And then to literally dig up the memory of Joe Biden's dead son, Bo, to use him as an excuse for why maybe the Bidens weren't all thinking too clearly is unbelievable. This is, by the way, can we just talk about the fact that uh, Hunter Biden didn't waste any time sleeping with Bo's widow after he passed? What a despicable, cretinous, nasty family. And every one of these losers that carries water for, for these freaks I, 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 is, what do you even say to this? There's no evidence, no evidence that he was profiting from this. And let's put this in context. This is a time when Bo Biden, the president's other son, was ill and then dying and then passed away. Have some heart, Willie Geist. How dare you bring this up? Understand, this was a tough time for the Bidens. My gosh. It's absolutely unbelievable. So a day before, Representative Jim Hines, Democrat, Kentucky, uh, Connecticut, excuse me, went on the same show. Uh, actually, no, this was, yeah, Morning Joe, but this was same journalist with Willie Geist. And Geist asked the question of Hines, a congressman, a uh, Democratic congressman, and, and Hines is, 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 is just absolutely punting on this. If there was a law broken, that's for the justice system to handle with Hunter Biden, and they should do that. The question is, does Joe Biden have any relationship to that? And the answer so far is no. Yeah, and understand what's happening here psychologically, right? Donald Trump was impeached for things that the American people could watch on TV. First was holding up Ukraine aid in exchange for uh, dirt on the Bidens, right? There was no question about the facts there. What's interesting about the Biden thing, the Republicans, it's, it, it's just this internal primal urge to visit retribution on the Democrats. And the problem is they can't find a fact. Have they pointed to anything to suggest that Joe Biden engaged in corrupt behavior? No. And on the contrary, Hunter Biden's business problems uh, partner said, uh, yeah, he was on some phone calls talking about the weather, talking about the weather, exchanging pleasantries. You know, I don't think that this is going to be able to last much longer. Have they pointed to anything to suggest that Joe Biden engaged in corrupt behavior? Uh, yeah, we have. For one, I would like somebody to take an assessment of all of Joe Biden's personal and real property and understand how the how in the H-E double hockey sticks he was able to accumulate this kind of wealth on a relatively low government salary that he's had his entire life. How many years was Joe out of office? Out of office. Four? Oh, and in those four years, he, he fabulously enriched himself? No. That beach house came before. I mean, there's just some things that any normal journalist, if these people had, had you know half a journalistic bone in them, would be asking questions about. Where'd the money come from? Now, I get it. Nancy Pelosi's fabulously wealthy. Her, her husband's an investment banker. Of course he benefits from having the Speaker of the House, longtime Speaker of the House, and very connected 
you know, political operative as a wife. I get that. But at least I can kind of explain where her money came from, right? I mean, I, I'm not sitting here. I'm not like a, a lot of conservative talk show hosts who, who, who just really just spew total nonsense. I, this is, I'm, I, am, I'm, I can see that. I just don't see where it came from the Bidens. And the son, Hunter, he's not a brilliant lawyer. I, 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 you know, I've asked a lot of people who are national lawyers, big name lawyers. I go, did you know this guy? Was he, I mean, I, I know he's in the news, but I said, do you ever remember him before all of this happened? Did he have a name for himself in white shoe law? Was he, did he have a client list? Did he, you know, was he? No, everybody's like, no, I, I have no idea. He was a political guy because his dad was in politics. He was a senator and then he was vice president. And it wasn't until dad became vice president that, that Hunter's, you know, professional reputation really w w took a, a turn for the better. Because one thing that Hunter was good at, same as Joe, is they were good at capitalizing on his office. And this is just something that ought to be abhorrent to all Americans, Republicans and Democrats alike. This is gross. And this is my problem with career politicians in general. I think that... Politics ought to be something that you engage in once you've made your pile of cash and are ready to do, you know, give back. You ought to look at this as a, a, it's a charitable endeavor. That's what politics ought to be. People come to me all the time and say, Sam, you ought to run for governor. Yeah, right. Well, not now. I'm still busy building my business. I'm still busy living my life. I, you know, if I ever do something like that, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it when I'm older. And when I've, you know, when I'm, when I've, when I've, you know, made my lot in life and when I'm looking to give back to my state and to my country. So that's like, that's how this ought to work. But these people cannot help themselves and their hand is in that kitty jar. And I'll tell you, the Republicans are guilty of this too, which is why, which is why they're all dumping on Trump and protecting uh, implicitly and protecting uh, Joe Biden as well. Uh, they do not want daylight on any of this. Trust me. All right, friends, I'll be back tomorrow. We're almost to Friday. Week is going by fast. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT.